Welcome to the house of the Lord, brothers and sisters. Are we ready to praise God tonight? That didn't sound very good there. Are we ready to praise the Lord tonight? There we go. There we go. Amen. Thought the church was falling asleep there. The soup was good, but was it that good? I mean, it was, well, yeah, it was. I'm trying to fall asleep right now, so. Amen. Amen. So, uh, <laughs> amen. Uh, so, welcome. I'm glad to see that we have visitors tonight. Welcome. Uh, and welcome those that uh, normally come that have showed up. Amen. Amen. Welcome. Thank you for coming. So, I'm going to read a verse and we'll pray and we'll get us some praise and worship. Do my best. Doing like triple, quadruple duty today. All right. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Selah. He's our refuge and our strength. We don't have to worry, do we? He's got us, and he's going to take care of us. Amen? All right, let's stand up, and we'll pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love, for your presence in our lives, and for every opportunity you give us to come together and to fellowship and to worship you. Lord, tonight I just pray, Lord, that as these, uh, these people have come into this building, Lord, that... Lord, just remind them, Lord, that uh, you are here and you are ready to give them what they need. If they need a breakthrough, if they need healing, whatever, Lord. Lord, uh, let them come to you. Lord, tonight, we just pray that you would uh, have your hands on the speaker, Lord, and have your hands on the worship team as they prepare our hearts for worship. We love you, we praise you, and we honor you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
praise tonight.
that's true for night for you guys tonight. You've got some praise. Ain't that true? We find our life when we lay our own down. How you guys doing tonight? Relying on you heavily. <laughs> this next song is called Trust in God. We did this a few weeks back, and I spoke on it a little bit. It was a, it was a song that kind of helped me um, remember that trusting in God will give you the best results. And I went through a time of, uh, of cancer, and I said last time, anybody with a heavy heart, any, anybody who has their own cancer in their, in their life, whatever that may be, just trust in God. He helped me through that. Amen.
song's called Be Still and praise God that uh, our best moments are when we're being still. Amen. You guys can help me sing this. Be still.
I've got a history of thanks I've got a future filled with praise And it's just for you It's just for you I've got a history of thanks I've got a future filled with praise Just for you You're the depth of every detail You're the author of the skies You're the life in every melody That's just who you are
have ever been abandoned, if we have ever been left alone, that we have never been covered, that His grace has not been outpouring and outreaching to each and every one of us, even when we did not recognize it, even when we did not see it, and often at times even when we didn't want it. And so there are moments in our life when we can give thanks for things that we realize, but sometimes we need to step back and look at the things we don't even realize, that just getting here, we got here in one piece by being covered, that just being able to breathe, coming out of the sickness, having families restored, having connections being made that we have no part of, to watch God at work, knowing that behind the scenes, He is going to continually work for His
Noches. Mi familia. There was a verse that as we were as we were singing, there was a verse that came to mind. One that we all know, I think. It's in Isaiah. It says, uh, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Amen? There's one thing lacking in that verse. You may have, you may have noticed it. It doesn't say you'll have no trouble. It doesn't say you're not going to suffer. It doesn't say you're not going to have trials and tribulations, but it does say that God's going to be with you. Um, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies with good so that your youth is renewed like eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel, 
The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heaven are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgression from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for men, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower in the field, for the wind passes over it and is gone. And in its place, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Amen? As uh, we heard Sekou say, we got a lot to be thankful for. And when we take the time to just remember what he has done and what he's doing and praise him for where he's taking us, we've got a lot to do. And that little book that we were given, the thankfulness book, man, that's not even enough for a day. <laughs> that's hardly even enough for an hour. should be able to fill that thing up just like that. If we remember, if we call to mind and take an account. Amen? Let's, uh, let's go to prayer. Father, you are glorious. You are gracious and compassionate. And your mercy endures forever. We thank you that you do not deal with us according to our sins. For we are covered in the blood of Christ. You look at us as your adopted sons and daughters, and we give you praise as we, as our, our people that we see about us endure all sorts of hardships and trials and tribulations as some crumble under the, the burdens that they feel. Father, you call us to bring them to you, to walk with us, to give you praise and exalt your name through those trials. And you say that your burdens are light and you're with us. And we, when we're yoked with you, Father, we just, we come and we, we lift up our hands and we give you our burdens. We give you our jobs. We give you our health. We give you our family. Lord God, you are watching over each one of those situations. We ask for wisdom, Lord God. We ask for wisdom to speak the truth in love. We ask for wisdom to encourage and exhort. We ask, Father, that you would allow us to remember what you do each and every day and to give you praise that our heads may be held high, that we might sing a song of exaltation to you. For you, Lord, are good to us. 
And we praise you, Father. We praise you with our voice. We praise you with our minds. Help us to praise you with our daily walk and with our countenance lifted up towards you. Father, be with those in this body who are struggling even now. May they find comfort in you. May they find strength in you. And may they give you praise and glory for what you have done in their lives and what you continue to do. We exalt you. We ask, Father, now for Seku as he is bringing the message. We ask that you would fill him, that you would give our spirits nourishment to chew on and to chart a new course with you that we might gain further understanding into your word and your power that works within us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Praise the Lord. I, uh, I've been praying this year um, so far for all my brothers and sisters to, to have courage and strength. You know, one of the, the scriptures, we all know it, but it's one of the scriptures I hold to daily and that I really, really listen to it. I have to. And it's Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, if I need courage, if I need help, if I need strength, I go to him. Amen? Amen. All right, this is the time where we get to uh, invite our brother Sekou to come break the bread of life for us and uh, listen to his word. And so before I go, I have a question for you. How does a mouse feel after it takes a bath? Squeaky clean. I really did miss you guys last week. Um, I was out of it, but I still miss being here. This is very much a part of my, this is in case anybody goes to sleep. Um, I heard you guys were very well behaved last week. Um, I saw pictures and I saw the different seating arrangements. Um, they didn't tell me about anybody going to sleep. Um, it was it was it was good to see that, and one of the things that it was good to see was that um, what my pastor used to say, which is a Tuscan Alabama statement. Oh, you guys can't hear me over there. Um, he said, "One monkey doesn't stop a show." And yeah, I know. So I, I was debating whether or not to even say that, um, but it's good to see that. Obviously, when people aren't here, they're missed. But God has raised up within each and every one of us to be able to step in, fill the gap, listen to the Lord, and do what needs to be done. Um, I don't like calling people at the last minute. I called somebody at the extreme last minute, um, and he tried to act like he didn't even know what I was talking about. Uh, but it, it, was, it was good to see that, and it's very encouraging to see that um, because some people in other areas they will get frantic if certain people are not here and while we miss people we want God to work 
through any willing vessel that is willing to step up and say, here, Lord, here am I. So praise God for that. Um, if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be reading verses 21 through 29. And then after we read it, some of y'all might say, I wish he stayed sick another week. And <laughs> um, how many of y'all have really read what Jesus says? It's a, it's a rhetorical question, but I, I appreciate it. But uh, we know that Jesus says some really challenging statements. He doesn't just do like, like we do sometimes in modern age. Um, one, there's a certain church that came to the yard and they would uh, preach a certain style. Very big church, very um, not seeker friendly, but very sort of here's the gospel with cookies. And so one of the sergeants got a little upset with that. Like he would not even want anything to deal with that. Uh, particular organization so we had to talk about it you know here I am sitting talking with a sergeant and he's like yeah I won't go and he says you know what say won't you go in there and ask them how come they don't preach about hell <coughs> I'm like is that a direct order he was like yeah that's a direct order why don't you go in there? <clears throat> okay it so happened that that week the head pastor of the whole organization was there um, I can't I won't say his name because then a lot of people know who it is um, but anyways, he was there. We were setting up. I happened to have a conversation with him, and I says, how come you don't preach about hell? And he just said, that's an interesting question. I said, well, one of the uh, sergeants asked me to ask that question. He says, quite simply, because we don't want to scare people into the kingdom. And I went, I kind of get, I didn't disrespect him, but I, I just, in my head, I'm like, I kind of get that. But if we preach a vanilla gospel, Without the reality that sin has consequences, that hell is very real, um, the fact that we can die in our sins if we don't accept Jesus Christ, then what are we preaching? Cookies and, you know, if it feels good, you can be Christian. I remember a certain saying that came around in the 70s that if, if it feels good, do it. And look how much trouble we're in because of that now. So not always... Is the gospel going to feel good, but it is definitely always going to be what we need. And so when Jesus spoke, he may not have always said words that felt good, but he said what is needed so that we could achieve eternal life. And here in this passage of scripture that we're going to read is an example of that. So if you have your Bible, let's all stand in honor of reading God's word. We're going to be reading Matthew 7, 21 through verse 29. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them 
will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Father, as we come together in this place to hear your word, we pray that it is your spirit that speaks through us and to us. Help us, Lord, to take your words to heart and to be able to not only hear them, but do them, live by them, and then to be able to share them with others. We thank you for the blessing of having your word and the blessing of being able to worship you freely in this season that we have now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We would like to think that everybody that names the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to heaven. It's all going to be great. We're all going to be reunited. It's going to be one great big party. But he turns around and he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom. That should be a rude awakening for each and every one of us. Because none of us like the idea of actually going back like the Bible says and making sure that our calling and election is sure. None of us like re-examining our motives for why we're in this to begin with. That's a very tough thing to deal with. And honestly, if you say, well, I'm here because somebody preached about hell. I sat in the mourner's bench. Grandma and them drugged me to church. And I had to sit in the front row. For some of y'all that come from that kind of culture, um, they used to have a bench in the front. And when you wanted to get somebody saved, especially when grandma was tired of dealing with you, they would put you on that first or second row. And you would get all that preaching and all of that yelling and sometimes the spit and everything else that came along with it. And you would just be up there feeling bad knowing that all the rest of the church is behind you and knowing who you are. And you think they know everything you did. And then the preacher gets up there and starts yelling about sin and you're in trouble, you're going to burn. And you just, oh, I need Jesus. You didn't go up there because you loved him. You went up there because they kept talking about hell and dying and your sin, and you didn't want no part of that. And then even some of us, it, it wasn't so much the preacher that scared us. It was to sit in that front row knowing that grandma was staring a hole in the back of our head. Yeah. And if we, if we didn't move, we might get a whooping when we get home. So we didn't want hell, and then we didn't want the paddle. So we, you know, killed two birds with one stone and went up front and said, you know what, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. And, and we said it and we believed in Jesus, but then we still had to work it out. And even if you did not have so dramatic a conversion, none of us really came to God because we loved him. The Bible even says that. So don't feel bad because you were, I didn't love Jesus like so-and-so loves Jesus. In order. No, none of us did. We love him because he first loved us. So we are gradually learning to love. And in that, um, like, ooh, I'm meddling. I, I've been gone a week and I'm already meddling. In that, like some people with significant others, you don't wake up every day going, you know, I really love who I'm with. <laughs> I said I was going to behave. Or even your best friend. Some days you don't wake up going, you know, I really love this brother or I really love this person. Some days you go, you know, kind of, I, I'm committed to being with this person. I'm committed to being in this friendship. But some days it's really hard to love this individual. That's a real part of relationships. 
And when we're walking with Christ, that's a real part of it. Because there are some things that Jesus says that are hard to understand and hard to take. And we even read in John where many people walked away from him after one particular passage. And he turns to the 12, the 12, and one of them was a devil, and says, well, will you guys leave as well? And he says, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. They didn't say that they liked what he said. They just said, we realize that you have the words of life. So we just have to figure out how to deal with some of the sayings you say when they're very hard to deal with. And us as Christians, as we walk, and God says, I want you to lay down this, and I want you to live like this, and I want you to do that. And some days we're like, I can do that. And then he says, you know, you're watching a little too much football. It's becoming an idol. You need to put that away. Is that you, Lord? Is that thou talking? Is that the voice of the Lord? I don't know. If it's you, then I want you to have the Patriots not hire Mike Vrabel as a coach, and then I'll know it's you. <laughs> we, <laughs> we play the game when we don't want to hear what he has to say, but if it's comfortable, then we're all for it. That's just a part of being real and a part of the walk. But there are some people that want nothing to do with the person of Jesus Christ. They just want to get caught up in the glory. They just want to get caught up in the goodness and the breads and loaves and the healings and the miracles and the great songs and all these other things. They want to be a part of the fun stuff. But when Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me, is that you, Lord? I mean, you certainly don't want us in the 21st or is this the 22nd century now? You certainly don't want us in this modern day and age to suffer. I mean, the disciples have suffered enough, right? I mean, all that suffering was done back then. You called us to have a good life. All things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose, right? Right? You want me to have the good. That's not always going to be our everyday walk. But the people who only want the good, who only follow for the loaves and fishes, have a rude awakening coming. And if we don't question our motives, sometimes we can get caught up in all of what they're doing because the Bible says many, many. Y'all know how it is with us being human. We don't really want to be part of the few. You don't want to be that odd kid out sitting at the table with your other nerd friend, drinking milk while, <laughs> while all the other, you know, popular kids are over yonder and, and they tend to pick on you. Nobody likes that. So we all want to be part of the many. You know, if everybody likes Star Wars, well, I just got to like it. You know, the majority of the church likes Star Wars, so the rest of the church just has to join the many. There's only like one person that I have talked to in the church that says, you know, that movie's garbage. <laughs> They didn't care about being part of the many. They stood their ground. The many is like a mass muddled mess of confusion that will get even the well-meaning caught up. How many of y'all watch Star Wars because we talk about it so much and could care less about it? Unfortunately, it's the same example. The many can influence the few because it's just a constant, ongoing barrage of their mentality and either you succumb to it or you move to a different planet. You know how this really, really works? Top 40 radio. Oh, I can't stand that song. Taylor, who? Oh, my, oh, I just, ah. Oh. If 
I hear that song one more time, two days later, you're singing the same song you hate. It's because of the mentality of the many, and it just wears on you to the point where you just surrender to it, and it becomes a part of what you do. God is not wanting us to get caught up in his glory. He's wanting us to get caught up in a relationship with him. And that is far from the fun part. It is initially humbling. It's humbling. Because in order for God to have a relationship with each and every one of us means that um, we have to surrender. We have to deal with things. We have to look at things as they are. And that's not always easy for the many to do. Glory is exalting. Glory is exalting. And it's real easy to, get be, uh, to be on the fringes of the glory and still feel like you're caught up in the movement of God. 5,000 member churches. That's all glorious. Because you can walk in there and kind of bask in the glow of great coffee and cookies and fellowship and music. And nobody in there knows your name, knows your history, knows where you came from, knows, you know, why you smile like this because you don't want nobody to see your bad teeth. They don't know anything about you. So you can go in there and hide and feel like you're surrounded by God and it's comfortable, but you're not challenged on the inside to be, uh, to be transformed or to do anything. And then you go out and you got your goodness. Some people get caught up in the hype. They love to go out and say, in the name of Jesus, and be standing in position to where I say something in Jesus' name and it gets done. And sometimes it gets done. But how much of a relationship do I have with the authority that I am trying to use? You know, I, I was thinking about this earlier today. Um, preaching doesn't make me or, or break me. Honestly, it's, it's a job. I enjoy seeing uh, people learn. But... When you really think about it, some people like preaching because it's just glorious. They get to stand up here or in any pulpit, and they get to show off what they know and yell and wear the 500 uh, They don't not even $500. It's not even an expensive suit anymore. They get to wear the $1,000 suit and strut and have the style, and people swoon and yell and all of that stuff, and they get caught up in that. But really, when you preach a word from God or even when you serve in any capacity, it is very humbling. You know how many times I come up here and I feel like, man, I'm just telling all my business to everybody. It's just, I'm just out there and the people are going to be like, oh, see, I knew what kind of scoundrel he was. You're just exposed. When you serve God in a capacity that is meaningful, you are putting yourself out there to be exposed. And a lot of times I would leave this pulpit. I'm pretty sure Deb has left a lot of... Uh, um, Dinners, you know, she smiles and she does this, that, and the other. And at the end of the night, she goes home and she goes, I don't think they really liked it. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not putting your business in the street, but it's, it's, it's one of those things of being real. Huh? <laughs> All right, then let's move on. How many times... <laughs> How many times has Kevin come up here and said, okay, worship team, we're going to do this. And then we all listen as best as we can for a bunch of cats. And then, and then we come up here and we do worship. And, you know, we're grooving and the congregation's kind of like, yeah, we just ate so much. Oh, okay. I'm ready to sit down. I don't, I don't even know this song. This key is too high. And they sit down. And they're listening and they get something out of it, but you don't really see it. And Kevin goes home and says, did I pick the right songs? 
was I really listening? You just start second-guessing yourself. When you serve, you get exposed. When you have that real relationship with the Lord, sometimes you feel like your business is all in the street, and not a lot of people want that. But that is where the power of God is at work in our lives, because as we are exposed and humbling ourselves under him, he knows us, and we know him because we realize that he has us covered. If we just run out there and shout Jesus' name with no connection, okay, things happen, but we don't really know the God that we serve. So do we get caught up in his will and his word or in the wonders of what God is? In Titus, or Timothy, excuse me, 2 Timothy um, verse four, chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. There is going to come a time in the, in the very near future, if not now, where the many will not want anything to do with sound doctrine. And it doesn't say they don't want to hear it. It says they don't want to endure it. Because often we come in, how many, don't raise your hands. <laughs> how many times have you come to church and you're like, wow, praise God. And then you hear something and you're like, aha. Again, just are you showing him what I'm doing? I've had that conversation with some of you guys. Like, no, I don't know what you're doing. I, oftentimes I'm preaching at me, but you know what? You preach in the mirror and preach at yourself. The congregation is of the same mind, the same accord. More than likely, you're all in the same boat. So when, 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 when you really hear the word of God, sometimes you have to endure it because it's challenging. Because it tells you something you may not want to hear in that moment. Or it makes you force or face something that you don't want to give up in that moment. And then you take it out on the mailman. We start preaching about pride and people start getting real upset. We start preaching about... <laughs> you, you, want, you, you don't want to go to God and say, well, why are you picking on me? So you go to the pastor, you go to other people and say, you know, I just feel like every time I come in here, he's like picking on me. I don't even know anything about that. I'm being obedient. But in that obedience, the word of God is challenging us. And the more that we rise to the challenge and let the word of God have its perfect work, we find that we know him more and more. And we know that he knows us more and more. The word of God is nice and comforting and encouraging, right? Sometimes. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents. It doesn't just say, it's not a suggester of the thoughts and intents, it's a discerner. In other words, it's like living with something that is always in your mess kit saying, no, 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 don't bring that. No, 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 don't, don't, who are you talking to? Don't bring that over here. I know better. You know better. Yeah, but you know what? No, you know better. But you know, I really, you know better. I can't stand talking to you. <laughs> when you go to God with pity and the word of God says self-righteousness. No, it's, it's, it's not self-righteousness. You should feel sorry for me. It's self-righteousness. I'm going to go talk to somebody who actually will cater to my feelings. 
I've had a bad day. The world hates me. No, you're not supposed to say, ah. Oh. I go to God and say, I'm having a bad day. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Let me go talk to somebody who cares. He does care. When he confronts you with that, that was like some time ago when we talked about being an eagle. And you see that great big American eagle in the middle of the dirt with a whole bunch of chickens eating corn. You know that ain't right. The chickens know that ain't right. We watched a um, seagull get blown in by a hurricane and all the pigeons were like, you ain't no pigeon. You ain't no uh, buzzard, but you ain't no pigeon. I mean, they're just looking at him like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> That's how the world looks at us when we as Christians are low living and they're going, you're, you're not worldly like we are, but why, why are you pecking around in the dirt? Like, this don't even look right. You ain't one of us, but you're trying to act like one of us. And then when you go to God, he was like, you ain't one of them. Why are you acting like one of them? And you're, and you're just looking for somebody to be on your side. The word of God is quick and powerful. It's uncomfortable. It gets in your business. It doesn't let you off the hook. It tells you what is. And at the end of the day, when you sit down and you get past all of your innards and all of your personal agendas and all these other things, you realize that the word of God is not only right, but the word of God is what you were created to live by. Amen. And then when we start doing it, we realize, huh, God's will is what's best for my life. Because everything else just gets me into trouble. Why is following the word of God so hard to us? It starts with Genesis 3. Uh, <laughs> literally, it does. But to sum it all up, it starts with deception. When we fell into deception about what God said, it turns around and makes us obeying God a matter of trust. Think about it. There are three scriptures... Jesus doesn't say if you do, he says when you do, when you fast, when you give, when you pray. I'm not in your mess, kid, about it. This is between you and the Holy Spirit. But if you don't do any of those three things, the big question becomes why? And the short answer becomes, do you really trust God in order to be obedient? Do you trust God that he provides for you? that you are willing to give of what he has already given you to bless someone or something else? Do you trust God that he is concerned for you that when you go to him in prayer, you don't go to him with a laundry list of what I want, but you start going to him and say, Lord, this is a situation. What is your will and line me up with it? When we fast, we don't even want to go there. <laughs> You trust God that you'll make it for 24 hours without, you know, cannibalizing the cat or yelling at somebody. But really, at the end of the day, fasting is about putting your flesh in check so that your soul and spirit is the one in charge, not your body saying, I want, I'm hungry, I want to do, I'm hungry. It's all about trust. And if you look at any of the things that Jesus has told us in his word, it becomes a matter of do we really trust him 
in the face of opposition or do we trust our own resources, therefore we don't do? There is a story about Niagara Falls. I don't know who told it. I don't even remember where I got it from, but something about a guy with a wheelbarrow crossing Niagara Falls. And he says, okay, he's done it a whole bunch of times. People watch him. Then he turns around and says, does anybody want to get in this wheelbarrow? And everybody's like, mm-mm, no, mm-mm. And one little girl comes up and says, I'll go in the wheelbarrow. And he crosses Niagara Falls with the little girl in the wheelbarrow. And at the end of the story, you find out that the little girl is his daughter and has seen him do that so many times. She trusts him with her life. But at the end of the day, people will trust the man to cross on his own for their entertainment, but they won't trust him with their life. When we do what the Father asks us to do, we are essentially saying, not my will, but your will be done, and I trust you. I don't maybe necessarily like the pain that happens, the challenges that happen, and the things that present themselves, but I trust you. And we start seeing God reveal himself to each and every one of us. But if we find ourselves on the other side, we realize that a lack of trust then leads to I-N-D-E-P-E-N-D-E-N-C-E. Do you know what that means? <laughs> independence we can do it on our own because we really don't trust him to do it because we're no longer in control and then independence leads to self-preservation I don't want to do the word of God because what if I lose all this week while I was on my life bed I was uh, challenged with the, the scripture of he who loves his life will lose it and he who loses his life for my sake will find it again I was wrestling with that not because I thought I was going to die although I felt like it a couple times but just the reality of he who loses his life and, and, and don't feel bad she we can put she or he either one loses his life for my sake do you know what that really means not somebody coming up and popping a cap in your head and boom and taking you out and okay, it's a short battle. This is are you willing to put your Isaac on the altar? The thing that you hold most dear and you think that God gave you, are you willing to put that on the altar because you trust him? Are you willing to say, you know what, I will pick up my cross, give up my hope, my dream, my ambition, my finances, my health, whatever it is I hold most dear because you call. I would like to say that I'd be a better man going, Lord, wherever it is that you want to go, that's where I'm willing to go. But when you really sit down and wonder what life means, that is everything who you are. Are you willing to give that up so that you can really find out who you are? That'll make you think. Real quick, I want to move forward because in this parable that he talks about, it's like a therefore, and the therefore is because of what he said. Um, many will say, Lord, Lord, and not, not enter into the kingdom. And he says, therefore, if you follow or do the sayings that I say, it's like a man who builds his house on a rock versus the other one who builds his house on the sand. 
building my house on the rock is something that, you know, I can't move it. I can't control it. I can't even manipulate it. But as long as I'm attached to it, I can be beat against, I can be rained on, and I can be flooded out, and my house doesn't go nowhere. So just as immovable as it is to me, it's once I'm built on it, I pick up its strength and become just as immovable so all the things attacking me don't move me. And like Paul says, God is on my right hand and I will not be moved. But if I try and take that rock and chip it up into a whole bunch of little teeny tiny pieces, which is what sand is, and then I try and build my house on a whole lot of I could have God, but I just want to break down the strength of it. I just want to have it in a form that I can control. Then when all the things come to battle and come to beat against the house from all directions, I end up finding out that I am going to succumb to the elements. But really, it doesn't even start with being attacked by the elements. It starts with the choice before I even build the house. Do I trust building on the rock? Or do I say, you know what, I'm going to build in something that's a little easier to deal with. It goes back to do I trust God? Or do I kind of trust God, but really want to have wiggle room to do my own thing? Well, why are you preaching like this? I'm not saying nobody's going to heaven. But in order to challenge people to grow even further, further in God, sometimes you really have to question those things that we quietly try to hold on to and say, I want to serve God, but I want to be able to hold on to this. And I'm not even talking about sin. The Bible says lay aside every sin and every weight that so easily besets us. Sometimes there are things that we hold on to that we think are legitimate issues, but they hold us back in matters of faith. In order for us to really get to know God, how much are we really willing to give up and trust that his way is the way he intends for us to go and is what is best for us? I want to close with Deuteronomy chapter 8. I know we're skipping scriptures there. He'll be all right. But he says if you... Follow my sayings, you're building your house on a rock. And that's very important because some of his sayings aren't easy to follow. But Deuteronomy chapter 8, and you say, well, this is the Old Testament. Well, we'll get to that in a second. At the end of their journey, as Moses is talking to the people, he turns around and says, look, this is a summary of their whole journey, 40 years in the wilderness. Verse 1, he says, every commandment which I command you this day, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you. Just like in our life, in our wilderness journey, we find a lot of situations that are there to humble us and to test us. And we think the devil's busy, but really it's God at work saying, let me show you your heart so you can see where you really stand. And then he turns around and says, you shall remember that the Lord, uh, excuse me, uh, to know your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, allowed, allowed you to hunger 
allowed you to have lack. Oh, God wants me to have plenty. What about those seasons when he says, nope, not yet. Nope, you're going to be in lack. Nope, you're going to learn how to depend on me. Nope, nope, no. And then you hear the prosperity gospel and all these other things talking about God wants me to have plenty. He says, no, in this moment of humbling you so that you can learn a thing or two. I allowed you to hunger. I fed you with manna. In other words, I fed you with something that sustained you but didn't give you everything you wanted. You want a cheesecake. I gave you a Ritz cracker. That'll get you by. <laughs> that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So it's all important that we don't just hear it, we live by it. It is our lifestyle. But why? Your garments did not wear out on you. Your foot did not swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of your Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. Why? What does verse 7 say? For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. In other words, what I have been preparing you for in obedience in the wilderness so that you could humble yourself and learn how to live according to my word is so that when I place you in the place that I call you, you're going to steward it just like your master would. That I'm going to put you in places that you don't turn around with your own idea and say, I'm going to do what I want to do and think that and make this into my own image. You're going to run the garden. You're going to run your household. You're going to run the job. You're going to run your lifestyle the same way that Jesus would if he was doing it. And he knows that he has a servant that he can trust who will do his word that he can put in charge of whatever it is that he has called you to be in charge of. Well, how come I don't have this yet? Would you run it like Jesus would, or would you still run it in your own idea? Well, how come I'm not married yet? <laughs> do I need to go there? How come I'm not a millionaire? Would you do it with the millions like Jesus would? How come I'm not pastor? <laughs> would you really have the care and concern for the flock like the master would? So all of this time in the wilderness, he is giving you uncomfortable things, not so he can say, I want you to squirm, but I want you to learn. I want you to learn my ways. I want you to learn how I am. I want you to learn to follow my word and understand my word so that when I do place you in a position of exaltation, you will do as I would do for all of the people that I put under you. That's where the glory is. Not in getting caught up in the hype, but being caught up in the master. And then when he puts you into a place where you say in the name of Jesus, you're not worried about what befalls. You're just worried about where you're obedient to the master. What do you do with the word that you have heard? Do you think it's God trying to restrict you and God trying to keep you in a box and, and life is just long and arduous? Or do you start learning that his word is good, even if it's challenging, and it gets you to a point where you know him just as much as he's showing you he knows you, 
so that you can learn what life is. You can learn what fellowship is. And then when God places you where he's called you to be, you will stand as he would and you will only do as you see your father. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we bless you for giving us, the, giving us your word in so many forms in so many different ways. We thank you for the wonderful blessing you have poured out upon our life. We pray, Lord, that none of your word falls off the table unused, unlistened to, disrespected, and ignored. We pray, Lord, that we take every single word that you have spoken to us, every portion of your will that you reveal to us, as important not only to listen to, but also for us to follow as we grow to know you and see how much you know us. We thank you that you only do wonderful things. We thank you for your wonderful plan for each and every one of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we missed communion last week. We're going to do communion briefly before we dismiss. Uh, again, Jesus Christ is the, the biggest example of saying, I could do being God but I'm going to do what was already set for me to do as a son. That's powerful when you sit down and look at it, to realize that Jesus, that you would think Jesus could say, I'm going to change the plan. But Jesus says, I'm only going to do as I see my father. Here is God showing us that as he takes of himself through his son, and the son having the autonomy that he does says I'm still going to work in accordance with the Godhead and I'm not going to change one thing. Doesn't say that he liked the cross. Doesn't say that he liked, as a matter of fact it says enduring the shame. But he went through it for the joy that was set before him which was each and every one of us. That here the son loves us like the Father loves us. Here the Holy Spirit now indwells on the inside of us because of the love of the Father and the love of the Son. If we see this in the very headship of God that he doesn't deviate from his word, he's training us to do the same thing. This is already the will. Will you humble yourself and line up to it? Or will you seek to continue to try and do your own thing? Paul writes, For I received of the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Father, we thank you for this, the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, broken for each and every one of us for the remission of sins. We thank you that you have risen him up from the grave and promised us eternal life. May this broken bread unify your body into one body under your will. In Jesus' name, amen. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ, which was shed for us on Calvary, 
which not only atones for us, but cleanses us from all sin and all unrighteousness. Lord, we thank you for that sacrifice. We thank you for that love. And we pray that as this blood washes us clean, we can stand in the righteousness that Christ has given us because of your love and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. After the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. For as often as you rise from this table, you do show his life. Would you all stand? I could remember a time here where we talked about the, the, the story is not over. And some of us are thinking, yeah, but the middle of the story is going on for a long time. The question is, are we so worried about getting to the end of the story that we're not realizing how God is lining us up for the end where we're at? Are we underestimating the call he has given us by overestimating the things that we want to hold on to in life? I urge you to trust God at his word and to gather people around you that will help you to be accountable when you feel those days of wrestling and stressing as if you don't want to. But his word is what we are created to live by. And we will see wonderful things come to pass because we find ourselves lining up with the Father. Would you raise your hands for the benediction? Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Let the church say, Amen. God bless you.